My Father Was the BTK Killer by Roy Wenzel from the Wichita Eagle. Could you ever forgive a serial killer? What if he were your father? Hear the story of Kerry Rawson's hunt for answers. The man knocked on Kerry Rawson's door around noon on February 25, 2005. She looked out at him from inside her apartment near Detroit. He was holding an FBI badge. She almost didn't answer. Her father, a code compliance officer in Park City, a suburb of Wichita, Kansas, had taught her to be wary of strangers, and this one had sat in his car for an hour outside her home. But she decided to let the FBI agent into her kitchen, where she had made chocolate bundt cake. From then on, the smell of chocolate cake would make her queasy. The man asked if she knew what BTK was. Yes, she did. BTK, Bind, Torture, Kill, was the nickname for the serial killer who had scared her mother decades ago and who was responsible for murdering 10 people in Kansas between 1974 and 1991. The FBI guy was her dad's age, in his late 50s, wearing glasses and a tie, nervous. Kerry was a 26-year-old substitute teacher taking a day off, still in her pyjamas. The man said her father had been arrested as a BTK suspect. He needed to swab her cheek for DNA. At that moment in Park City, Kerry's mother, Paula Rader, 56, sat down to lunch at home, waiting for her husband, Dennis. Cops rushed in, guns drawn. A week later, Paula's lunch still sat uneaten in the house she had shared with Dennis since the early 1970s. She'd never sleep there again. Cops arrested Dennis as he was driving home for lunch. In Wichita, officers picked up family and friends for questioning. At the police station, Paula defended Dennis. Back in Detroit, Kerry yelled at the FBI agent. The last time she had seen her dad was in Park City at Christmas. He had looked sad. She remembered his bear hug, how he smelt, his brown uniform. This could not be true, she told the man. Dad had called last night asking if she'd checked the oil in her car. At that point, she did something she would do many times over the next seven days, defend and then doubt her father at the same time. She told the agent about Maureen Hedge. Hedge, 53, was a grandmother, 1.5 metres tall, weighing no more than 45 kilograms. She'd lived six doors down from the Raiders and disappeared in 1985 when Kerry was six. Hedge's body was later found in a ditch. Paula had been fearful. Don't worry, Dad had said. We're safe. Kerry remembered that when Hedge disappeared, her dad wasn't home. It was stormy and I didn't want to sleep by myself. My mum let me in her bed. That's how I know he was gone. After the FBI agent left, she took down a picture of her father from the hallway and stuck it in a cupboard. She googled BTK for proof that he was innocent but then told her husband she was matching her memories to BTK's murder timeline, wondering if her whole life might be a lie. The next day, police and politicians gathered in Wichita's city hall. BTK is arrested, the police chief announced. Kerry was furious when she learnt that to link her dad to BTK, cops had obtained one of her pap smears taken years before at Kansas State University's clinic. They used it to confirm that the Raider family DNA closely matched DNA in the semen that BTK left 
at the scene of a quadruple homicide in 1974. The FBI guy had asked Kerry for a cheek swab so he could double-check her DNA. The first nights, Kerry and her husband, Darian, slept as if one of them needed to be on watch, she on the couch, he on the floor. TV crews camped outside, and when Darian drove to work, they followed. Darian watched his wife change. Athletic and nearly 1.7 metres tall, she was no girly girl, and he loved that. She could walk for days carrying a backpack. But now she was BTK's daughter. She looked like her dad. Same dark hair, same eyes. She shared his middle name, Lynn. She felt as if she'd done something wrong. Kerry searched her memories. The night of Hedge's murder, Dad had taken Brian, her brother, on a Boy Scout camp. Was it an alibi so he could sneak out and murder their neighbour? In 2004, around Christmas, after BTK threatened in letters to tell the police and news outlets that he would kill again, Dad had driven her to the airport to pick up her brother. But Dad had wandered off. Was he posting one of those letters, watching the news to see if he was mentioned? She minutely analysed her whole life. Kerry remembered how he spoke sharply if she sat in his chair or failed to put her shoes away. Cops said BTK made strange marks in his communications to them. She recalled weird marks Dad made on newspaper stories. Code, he'd called it. Mike Clark, the family's pastor, visited Dennis Rader in jail a week after his arrest. Clark called Paula afterwards, and Kerry watched her mother take the call with a yellow legal pad in her hand. Paula wrote, He's confessing, and underlined it as they talked. It was true. He had murdered the Oteros, a mum, a dad, and two children, ages 11 and 9. He had tortured victims, sexually defiled several. He had taken Hedge's body inside Christ Lutheran Church, where he was congregation president. He posed her and took photos. BTK had started his crimes in 1974, before Kerry was born. Everybody assumed BTK was a sadistic genius. But the real BTK is an ordinary, inarticulate doofus, Darian thought. And a good dad, Kerry said. With Paula, he'd taught the kids godliness. Kerry had two university degrees. Brian, her older brother, had been an Eagle Scout and was training to serve on US Navy nuclear submarines. Dennis couldn't understand why no family members visited. Kerry wrote to him, You have had these secrets, this double life, for 30 years. We have only had knowledge of it for three months. We are trying to cope and survive. You lied to us, deceived us. The family dreaded a trial where his crimes would be described. Dennis pleaded guilty to spare them. Kerry felt relieved until the plea hearing. Her dad told a TV audience at length how he had killed people, lingering over how he'd murdered the Otero kids. He seemed to enjoy the story. He even brought up Kerry. Joseph Otero had a daughter. I had a daughter. One night the next year, while Darian slept, Kerry lay beside him and wrote to her father. Should I tell you that I grew up adoring you, that you were the sunshine of my life? True, even if it is coming out jaded and bitter now. Sometimes I just want to go out and buy the biggest buttery tub of popcorn I can find and wave it in your face and say, Ha, you won't ever have this again, and ask, was it worth it? In the next breath, I want to ask if you're staying warm at night. I'm so sorry that you're alone in that small, cold, concrete cell 
and sometimes I just wish I could give you a hug. She never sent that letter, and when her dad wrote to her, his letters sometimes went into the rubbish bin where she dumped cat litter on them. Other times she'd write, and he would not reply, later telling her he'd been busy. Dennis committed his first murders at age 29. At age 29, Kerry became a mother, and suddenly she truly despised her dad. In 1974, he had killed two children. In 1977, he had strangled Shirley Vianne while her six-year-old son watched through a keyhole. In 1986, he killed Vicky Wegerl as her two-year-old stood in a playpen. Man hurt mummy, the child told police. Kerry stopped writing to her father and cut him out of her life. Sue Parker, a therapist, treated Kerry for five months in 2007. Parker saw a woman with above-average intelligence, poise and post-traumatic stress. Kerry gave permission for Parker to be interviewed for this story. Many factors determine how well people can recover. It's about the severity of the trauma and how long it goes on, but it also depends on the coping mechanisms the victims have, their support system, who they have around them, Parker said. Kerry had had good people around all her life, Parker thought. A loving husband, church, friends, and good parents. Not just mum, dad too. The cops said Dennis Rader fancied himself a James Bond character with cover stories, Boy Scout volunteer, congregation president. But BTK had also been a good dad, Parker said. Maybe it was all a cover story, she added. But if it was, it was a cover story that actually worked. After her daughter Emily was born, Kerry clung to teachings about God's love. But when a sermon on forgiveness was announced at church, she stayed away. She had a second child, Ian, in 2011, but her dad's betrayals kept poisoning her life. When Emily was five, she asked her mother where her grandfather was. In a long time out, Kerry replied. Could Kerry see him, Emily asked. It's a really long time out, Kerry answered. One day at church, Darian and Kerry listened to a woman describe being raped. She said she forgave, not to help the rapist, but to lighten her own suffering. Kerry talked about that idea for days. In August 2012, she announced at church that her father was a serial killer and told her story. I have not forgiven him, she said. Mary Jo Swanson, a friend, talked to her. If we choose not to forgive or not work at healing from the betrayal, she told Kerry, we continue to give the other person power to control us and our feelings. That autumn, Kerry suffered a fracture in her tibia. She was laid up for weeks. Shortly afterwards, forgiveness poured over her one day. The anger was gone. In December, Kerry wrote to her dad for the first time in five years. She told him she would never forget his crimes or be at peace with them but she was at peace with the man who had raised her. Then she wrote of her life and of the grandchildren he would never meet. I don't know if I will ever be able to make it for a visit, but know that I love you and hope to see you in heaven someday. After that letter, Kerry changed. Before she forgave him, she thought of herself as BTK's daughter, Darian said later. But as soon as she forgave him, she was Kerry again. In February 2013, Kerry spoke at church. God told me, you have a dad problem, you have a trust and obedience problem. You trusted and obeyed your earthly father and he hurt you, so now you're holding out on me. Let's fix that. 
She said, I told him that I love you. He said, then show me. And so she had done it, she told them. She had forgiven him. She wrote again to her father, telling him once more that she forgave him. Her father was stunned. Forgiveness is there between the lines he wrote in his rambling style. She recalls all that we did as a family, many good memories, and that helps her make the day. That is true love from a daughter's heart. What else can a father ask for? That was not the end to Carrie's struggles. In September 2013, Stephen King said in a TV interview that he'd written a story inspired by the Raider family called A Good Marriage, about discovering a monster in the house. Furious, Kerry gave her own interview, lashing out at King. Among people giving her rave reviews, Dad. She reminds me of me, he wrote to the Wichita Eagle. Independence, fearless, uses the media. I was touched by it. People reading. We'll see we had a good family. Nothing to hide, only me with my dark secrets. Like she said, I was a good dad, but only did bad things. Memories came back to Kerry. In 1996, the Raiders had lost a cousin to a car wreck and were losing a grandfather to illness. To comfort the family, her mum made manicotti, but the Raiders got into a fight at dinner. We had this old rickety table and someone, I don't remember who, pounded on it, and the legs broke and all the dinner came crashing down. My dad was so angry at my brother, he put his hands around my brother's neck and started to try to choke him. I can still picture it clearly and I could see the intense anger in my dad's face and eyes, close to manic. For Kerry, life continued to be complicated. I fight my dad sometimes in my dreams, never understanding who let him out of prison, she said. I'm always very fearful of him and very angry in my dreams. Sometimes I'm even fighting for my life or frantically trying to convince others of the truth. On a cold morning in January 2015, Kerry is back in Wichita. Coming back here to Wichita is like stepping into enemy territory, she says. She wonders whether people might recognise her, and she talks about forgiveness. I feel bad for the 30 years of bad things because of one man, my dad. I forgave him, but I didn't do that for him, she says. I did it for me. She returns to her old block and points. There's my grandma's house, and there's where Mrs Hedge lived, and here is where our house was. It is a vacant lot. The city raised the house to discourage sightseers. To get to my grandma's house, I had to walk past Mrs Hedge's house, and now at age six I was afraid. And the guy who killed her was living in our house. She shows where a tree house stood, built by her dad. She indicates with her arms how big his garden had been. He turned my bedroom into a nursery for plants when I was three, and I'd sleep with my brother in the bunk bed. I was so annoyed with my dad. But now you realise that kept him out of trouble. He was trying to stop. So it was plants or murder. She points to a depression in the grass, the grave of Patches, a pet dog long dead. The cops were so suspicious of BTK that they had dug up the dog's remains to see whether BTK had buried any secrets with them. He had not. But nothing about her life was spared, Kerry says not even the graves of long-dead dogs. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia.
Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Prime. Thank you.